sheet that says on the top of it nominations. Uh, and we're asking that you return the nominations by October 4th. That's just a couple weeks away. Uh, but just to take some time to think and pray about individuals in, their church, in our church, the way the Lord has gifted them. Read Acts chapter 6, uh, some of the qualifications for leadership within the church. Pray over that. Uh, and if some names come to your mind, uh, to go ahead and write down there the name of the individual. And either turn that into me or Pastor Josiah or to Gina. Uh, that will that will be a big help to us. Also, remember last week, and I don't, I don't have this to hand to hold up, but but they were they're on the table. Uh, but last week we started handing out that every member ministry worksheet. It's like a skills and inventory of our church. We're asking everyone in the church to please fill that out. Uh, we want to be an army of servants here at the church, but I know sometimes it, we kind of feel like we fall through the cracks. We're not sure ways that we can be serving. And so what that's designed to do is trying to get a good understanding of the church body, the gifts, the skills, the talents, the resources that we have. Uh, so please fill that out. And also on that sheet, there's a list of different ways to serve in this church. And remember that the challenge that went out last week, and I'll just say it again this morning, is the challenge is for each one of us, to give at least one hour of service uh, to the church each week. Uh, and that way we can be uh, serving alongside each other in that fashion. Also, today is the last day to sign up for the marriage retreat. Uh, we have a good crowd signed up for that. Uh, but today is the last day to sign up for that. And remember that that, that, that retreat is free. And maybe you can only make it to part of it. That, that's okay. Then come to the part that you can make it to. In fact, I, I'm glad to be able to announce this morning that from 5 uh, till the end, uh, roughly 9 o'clock, uh, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m., we will be able to provide childcare. Uh, so if you have, maybe you're not able to make it the rest of the day because you, cause you're, you're, you're home watching your kids, but you can come at 5 o'clock. Uh, we want to serve you that way and make the night, that day, as much of a blessing to you as we can. Uh, so if that's been hindering you or, or you're not sure if you could because of that, uh, then good news, right? From 5 to 9, we're offering childcare. Uh, so I'm glad, glad to be able to announce that. Also, starting in October, which is coming up very, very quickly, uh, time, time is flying, huh? Uh, so October is coming up quickly, and October, there's, there's a few changes, right? So in October, we're firing up Sunday school. And what we're going to do is we're going to have all the families together during Sunday school. For now, we're not sending them into their individual classes. And Sunday school is starting at what time? I heard a few people say at 9, 9.30, right? So starting in a couple weeks, it's just two weeks away, uh, Sunday school is starting at 9.30. So the morning service will start at 10.30. Okay, so Sunday school is at 9.30. Uh, the morning worship service will be at 10.30 starting October Fourth, and related to October is we're doing our missions emphasis for that month, uh, and so uh, each Sunday we'll have uh, uh, one of our missionaries here, either in person or a couple of them are live streaming. Uh, Greg and Emily are live streaming, uh, and then the Nolans are live streaming. So do please be praying about that too. Uh, that technology cooperates. Um, and that we're able to, to do that well. That, that'll just be a real joy to be able to do that live streaming with them. Uh, October 4th, we have Ken and Sharon Floyd with us. Uh, then we have just, just a number of people lined up. We're excited about that, looking forward to that. And remember what we're doing in October for the Missions Month is we're going to be taking a special offering every Sunday. And the point behind that is at the end of the month, we'll tally it all together and we're going to hand that out evenly, distribute it evenly to all of our missionary families. Uh, so just, just a way to bless them and encourage them because uh, we, we love our missionaries. Uh, we love how they're laboring for the Lord. I'm very, very thankful for them. So that's October. And another way you can bless and encourage our missionaries in October is we have the missionary cupboard. Uh, the cupboard is, is a little bit bare. Uh, and so, so inside, inside there, uh, inside the building, if you, if you just head straight to the wall, uh, right by Gina's office, you'll see a little box. And inside that box is a whole bunch of little pieces of paper that have different things that you can buy to donate to that missionary cupboard. And we're able to give those away to our missionaries. Just, just again, another way to encourage them and bless them. So please, please take advantage of that. Also, uh, at the end of the service today, please don't rush off. Uh, if you're able, please stay, And because guess what needs to happen, not with the tent, but with the chairs and the tables. It all needs to go 
in there. <laughs> and we need to set up in a special way for the marriage retreat. Uh, so please don't take off as soon as the service is over. Stay, fellowship, talk, encourage one another. But also, here's an opportunity to put in that hour of service. Uh, let's, let's get everything in there and get it all set up well. And the other thing I'll make mention of, Josiah has one announcement, just the other thing I'm going to mention is, is inside the bulletin is this, is this two-sided piece of paper that says COVID-19 update. Uh, maybe you already saw that in the email that went out in the email. It's also on our Facebook page. Uh, but I just, I strongly encourage everyone here to read that. What that is, 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 is how we're asking and how we're planning as a church to continue to move forward. And to me, the most helpful thing in there is it talks about uh, some different kind of profiles for understanding how people are reacting to COVID. Uh, some people are very cautious. Uh, and, and by cautious, well, I can just read what it says there. It says cautious, and you see it right in the bottom of the first page. <clears throat> But cautious are those who primarily work from home. Uh, they follow every aspect of CDC regulations and prefer to stay conservative about the reassimilation plan. Uh, so there are those who are cautious. There are also those who are confident, and they are those who don't wear a mask. Typically, uh, they spend greater amounts of time with people outside their home. They don't mind tight proximity. They obey the law, but don't necessarily worry much about going the extra mile with precautions. They, they lean towards reassimilation, regardless of the news, and some think the crisis may be blown way out of proportion. Uh, then there's the, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to say this word, but the cotident or the cautious, confident people, kind of a mix of both. Uh, they, they find themselves doing and feeling a bit of everything in both the cautious and the confident profile. And we as a church, we recognize there are some here this morning who are cautious. And we are thankful that you are here. And there are some here this morning who are confident. And again, we are thankful that you are here. But what we are asking is whether you are confident or cautious that you practice these qualities, that you be humble towards one another, and that you be loving towards one another. And like we talked about last Sunday from Galatians 5.13, that you use your freedom to serve each other, uh, not as an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve one another. And we're also asking that we be united, and, and we have been united, and I'm very thankful for that. The spirit of the church has been wonderful. Uh, but notice it says in Ephesians 4.3, maintain the unity of the spirit. We often don't start talking about unity until we've lost it. And the Bible encourages us to say, no, we have unity in Christ, be striving to maintain it. Uh, and that, that's what we're trying to do, right? And especially be praying. Uh, so, and if we can all have those attitudes as we seek to move forward as a church body, then the Lord will continue to do great things through us. Uh, so let's be humble, uh, let's be loving, let's use our freedom to serve, let's be united, let's be praying for the Lord to do a great work in our midst. Uh, and, and let me just emphasize this too, like, if, if you're not comfortable hugging or shaking hands, that's okay. That's, that's A-okay, there's no problem with that. Uh, just graciously, uh, lovingly inform someone if they stick out their hand or if they try and hug you to say, hey, I, I, I'm not doing that, and that's okay. Uh, again, we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we we want to be cuddident. <laughs> we want to be cautious and confident. Uh, so let's let's keep moving forward in that direction. And then Josiah has something he wants to mention. Do you need this? Yeah, I should. Yeah, if I knew I was going last, I would have uh, sat down. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so <laughs> uh, I'm just going to hold it. Uh, we, uh, uh, in addition to starting up Sunday school and Sunday mornings, we're also going to be starting up our children's ministry in October. So in two weeks, and, or actually three-ish, two and a half weeks, we're going to be starting our kids' ministry on Wednesday nights. Instead of boring you with all of the details of what that will look like, be on the lookout for the next week. There's going to be a packet uh, for parents and a packet for leaders. That's going to have, hopefully, every answer to any question you would possibly conceive of, of what kids' ministry will be um, in there. So please be on the lookout for that. Um, I know just like with what, what Andrew was just mentioning, that there are parents who fall on both sides of that spectrum too, right? We've got very cautious parents who have chosen to even pull their kids from school. Um, so I was not sure if children's ministry would be possible this fall. And I kind of pushed it off because I was thinking, I don't even know how we do it. Um, that being said, what I, my 
conviction that has been going deeper and deeper is that we have a responsibility to to be there for some of these kids who specifically the ones who are not from a, a family like maybe most of your families um, the ones who don't get Bible study when they're at home with their parents um, the ones who don't have accountability in their life um, we, we need to be there for them if we can be and I'm willing to go through brick walls if I'm able to do that Even, what I'm saying by brick walls is I'm willing to go the extra mile to wear a mask to to change the way we do kids club to make it social distanced, whatever we need to do to allow those kids to get that every week. So I'm going to be working extra hard to find exactly what we need to do, exactly what steps we need to take um, to make that possible. But for parents, next week is when that packet will be out. A couple highlights from it. We're going to be doing trunk or treat as well. Woot woot. <laughs> so that's going to be out um, in the parking lot, hopefully. Um, pray for no rain so that we don't have to have all the people inside because that wouldn't be social distanced and we'd have to cancel. Okay, so pray for clear skies for trunk or treat. That'll be the last Wednesday of, uh, of October. And last thing is just that we also need leaders. Um, I have a good number, but we still need, we need more help. So in, in addition to the parent packet, there will be a leaders packet that will have all of the information that you will need as a leader. So right now you don't have all the details, I know, but just be, what I'm encouraging you to do is be praying about can you be somebody who ministers to these kids um, every Wednesday or once, once maybe one month out of the year and just be praying if that's something that God would want you to do. Um, so that is all I have. And thank you. We match. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so this time we're just gonna have a, a, a time of prayer. Um, in particular, I just want to mention that there's a few individuals in our family who this week we really need to be praying for. I'll be praying for Jim Carrey's wife, Tina, that she's having a procedure done on Tuesday, I believe. So will be praying for her. be praying for uh, Clyde Stanton. He's having back surgery on Thursday. I'll also be praying for Christine Temple's husband, who I believe tomorrow is having a procedure done. Uh, so those are just a few different individuals uh, who are in need of prayer this week and love and encouragement. Also, on your bulletin, on, on the back of your bulletin, there's always those list of prayer requests. That, that's meant to be a prayer guide for you throughout the week. So just be mindful of them. Be mindful of Cody Visser uh, and the many things he's enduring. Uh, just, just keep one another in prayer. And, let, and let's, let's do that now. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so, so thankful for this morning. And we uh, just want to bless you this morning. We want to praise you this morning. We want to use our tongues for that for which we were created, to, to lift you up on high and to exalt you. And we confess, Lord, that we don't do that enough. We confess, Lord, that, that often our, our mouths, instead of still full of praise, are, are full of complaining and murmuring. And the Lord, we, we just don't, we don't praise you enough. Uh, and, and sometimes, instead of murmuring or complaining, we're praising ourselves. That we're full of self, we have pride. Uh, Lord, please forgive us for these and teach us to praise you. Help us to praise you. Give us the grace we need to praise you. Uh, help us to be people who are just, just full of awe and wonder at who you are and all that you've done, all that you are doing, all that you will do. Help us to be people of praise. Help us to be a church of praise. And Lord, I pray that that would be infectious among us and that it would be infectious in our community. Uh, and infectious around the world, Lord, that, that we would just be praising you and lifting you up, that we would not be people of small praise or little praise. But Lord, you're a big God, you're a great God, and that I just ask you to do a work in our hearts that we would be people of big praise and, and just constantly lifting you up, hearts that are adoring you, and again, just in awe and a wonder of you. And Lord, we just thank you so much for this body of believers here and help us as we look to your word. Uh, give, us, give us more of your spirit to, and illuminate our, our, our minds and our hearts and our eyes that we might see the wondrous things that are in your word. Teach us, Lord, this morning and, and give us uh, humble, listening hearts. Lord, give us, give us ears that listen also and just hearts that delight in your word. And Father, we do lift up to you the, the individuals and their, their various procedures this week. We think of Ken Brinks and uh, the procedures he's having done, and, and Jim Carrey's wife, Tina, and Christina's, uh, Christine Temple's husband, and, and we think also of 
uh, Clyde and his surgery on Thursday, Lord. We just thank you for each one of these individuals. We thank you, Lord, that you're the great shepherd. And I pray that you'd be shepherding them, that they would know your presence, that they would know your care. We thank you for the nurses and doctors who are able to do, do these procedures. We just pray that you would help them, uh, give them a clear mind, steady hands, Lord, as they, as they do the procedure. And we think also of Cody, uh, just an ongoing uh, roller coaster uh, ride there, Lord, and, and, and Lord, Lord, we pray that he'd be able to get that surgery that he needs sooner than later. Lord, it just keeps getting delayed, and Lord, we are thankful that uh, you're in control there, that you have a plan and a purpose. But Lord, we just pray, if it would be your will, uh, that uh, today he would get the surgery, Lord, that, that he would get the help that he needs, that he might start, start recovering. And Lord, again, I just pray for each one of these individuals and others here in our midst who might just have different things going on in our lives. Help each one of us just to be looking to you, to be trusting you. We thank you that you're faithful. We thank you that there's no accidents, there's no oops, you haven't fallen asleep, but that we can trust you uh, in the good and the bad. And Lord, we uh, thank you for our, our local school teachers and we pray for your and superintendents. Uh, we just pray for your protection over them. Give them wisdom and discernment as they uh, try and make decisions about school and the safety of the children. And, uh, and as they try and, and educate through these times, Lord, we just pray for wisdom for them. We think of California and the, uh, the 19,000 or so firefighters. And it just seems like wildfire after wildfire this year in California. Also, the earthquake this morning in California. Lord, we just we lift, lift the people up there. We lift the firefighters up to you. We pray you keep them safe. Give them the strength they need to fight the fires. We pray that people would be safe. We pray that people would be turning to you and looking to you through this time as, as uh, homes are shaken. Lord, that, we would, that you would, in, in your grace and your mercy, shake our own lives, Lord. And that would cause us to consider the foundation that we're building our lives on. Is it, is it you? And Lord, I pray that you would do a great work in that way. And Lord, we uh, just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so if you would, please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've been making our way through it. And this morning we find ourselves at Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. And this is a well-known passage. It's Zechariah's hymn of praise. Uh, where he exalts God for his, his many, many uh, attributes and ways that he's at work. So Luke chapter 1, we're picking it up in verse 67. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And God's word says, And his father, that's, that's John's father, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, again, speaking of John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And this is the reading of God's good and perfect holy word. All God's people say, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so it was a once-in-a-lifetime in a opportunity. Zechariah uh, had been chosen uh, to be the priest who that day would go into the temple and offer up incense uh, before the Lord. It was a big day, an exciting day for, for Zechariah, but unbeknownst to him, it became an even bigger day, because that day when he enters in, uh, he is confronted by the angel Gabriel, uh, the mighty angel Gabriel, and the scripture tells us that Zechariah is terrified, just like you and I would be. We would be terrified. And the angel assures Zechariah by saying to him, Do not be afraid, which is to say, have faith. 
God has heard your prayer, and Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. Now how does Zechariah respond to that amazing announcement? Does he have joy? Does he have excitement? Not even close. Uh, he is filled with doubt. He, he basically says to, 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 to the angel, to God, Are you sure about that? Do you, do you have the right person? Uh, you do remember how old we are, right? Because uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are far beyond uh, the age of childbearing. So, so how could this possibly be? They, they have doubt. And so in judgment, uh, the angel, uh, through God's judgment, strikes him silent, right? Zechariah is silent for nine months. Nine months. Have you ever had laryngitis? And just how hard it is to talk. You want to talk, but you can't. Or, or things, things along that nature. Have you ever tried to be silent for even just a few hours? What would you do if you had to be silent for... 270 days. Actually, 278 days because the circumcision, the eighth day, is when he gets his voice back. So, three quarters out of the year, silence. Unable to speak. What would you do? What would you say? What would you want to say? Uh, now, flash forward roughly nine months and a few hours of probably hard labor, and God's word has come true. Old Elizabeth has, has had her baby, and the whole town arrives to celebrate God's merciful miracle. On the eighth day, uh, the day of circumcision, uh, in accordance with the covenant of promise made to Abraham, a bunch of people show up again uh, to rejoice and celebrate and recognize uh, this, this covenant promise. And according to custom, everyone assumed uh, that this newborn baby would be named Zechariah. That was just kind of the assumption that, that they had. Uh, but Elizabeth, to the surprise of everyone, said, No, this child will be called John. And that caused a bit of a family feud. Uh, maybe they thought Elizabeth was losing in her old age. Or maybe they, they thought she was confused or the stress of the pregnancy had gotten to her. But, but they're, they're shocked by it. They're surprised by it. Calling the baby John just didn't make any sense to them. And so they appealed to Zechariah. Uh, and somehow, I don't know how, but somehow they signaled to him what they're trying to ask him. Uh, and, and he asked for the tablet. Uh, and he, he says the baby's name is John. And again, the, the people are shocked. But, but the second he says that, if you see in, in verse 60, 63 and 64 in Luke 1, it says, And he, that's, that's Zechariah, asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And notice verse 64. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. I love that. I, I don't know what I would say after nine months of being unable to speak. But what comes out of Zechariah's mouth is an eruption of spirit-filled praise. So, so think about this. The judgment of God, the discipline of the Lord, though it was painful and hard, led to blessing. Right? Nine months of being under the, the discipline of the Lord, of being silent, leads to Zechariah blessing God. Mark that down. God disciplines us to bless us. He disciplines us to bless us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11 says, God disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So these past nine months, Zechariah has been under the discipline of the Lord, and it's resulted in blessing God, and it's resulted in a deep faith and trust in God uh, from Zechariah. And now in our text, verses, verses 67 through 80, He's been blessed by God, and so he turns around and does what? He blesses God. 
God disciplines us so that we might be blessed. And then having been blessed, we can bless him and others. And that word bless in verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Uh, It's the same word that we found earlier. Remember when Mary visited Elizabeth and Elizabeth blesses Mary? It's the same word. It's the word eulageo, which if you remember, is the word from which we derive eulogy. And eulogy just means to speak well of. And yesterday, for Pastor Dan and Sharon, was a day of eulogizing, right? A day of speaking well of the Lord's work uh, through Pastor Dan and Sharon. And in our text, we have Zechariah eulogizing God, speaking well of God, praising God, just, just bursting forth with praise. And I see him praising God for at least five things. Uh, the first uh, thing that he praises God for is redemption. So if you see verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So the word visit, that's, that's, that's a wonderful theme in the scriptures. Especially as you read through the Old Testament, it often will speak of God visiting. And he visits for one of two reasons. He always visits either to bless or to judge. Now, more often than not, it's to bless, but there are a few times where we find the word in the Old Testament where he, he visits to judge. But it's a rich theme all throughout Scripture. So, for example, in Genesis 21.1, we read that the Lord visited Sarah, and Sarah, just like Elizabeth, was blessed with a child, a son, in her old age. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Another example would be Ruth. In in Ruth chapter 1 verse 6, Naomi is is on her way back to to the fields of Moab with her daughter-in-laws because she says the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So again and again we read through the scripture of God visiting And it's always followed uh, by either blessing or judgment. And what should be obvious is that when God visits, he doesn't just kind of casually drop in, uh, but he takes notice, he gives careful scrutiny, and it leads to action. And so here in our passage, uh, Zechariah is praising God that after 400 years of silence, that God has mercifully visited Not to judge, but to redeem. That's what it says in verse 68. He has visited and redeemed his people. And redemption is another rich theological word or or theme in Scripture. And quite frankly, as I was thinking about this this week, the word redeemed needs to be redeemed uh, from the way how it is commonly used in, in everyday vernacular. So, so, for example, we often think of redemption in terms of sports. And so, maybe there's a, a big game, a championship game, but really it could be any kind of game. Let's just run with the championship idea. And it's down to this pivotal point, and they give the ball, whatever game they're playing, they give the ball to the star player, and he totally drops it. He misses a shot or he fumbles a football, whatever, whatever sport analogy you're picturing in your mind. But he totally loses the, and misses the opportunity uh, to, to make the scoring point that would have carried the team through and won the championship. And so what happens when, when the star player messes up is every network out there plays it over and over and over and over, right? The shame of it. And they'll say things like, he needs to redeem himself. The player needs to make up for it. He must win redemption by doing something spectacular in the next season or or the next game. And so the concept of redemption in American culture is, is I need to do something. I need to make up for previous mistakes. We, We even see this in relationships, right? Have you ever said to your wife or to your husband, hey, let me make this up to you. I messed up. I screwed up. Let me make that up to you. Let me redeem myself. Have you ever said that? Biblically, the word redemption does not mean that you can make up for past mistakes. 
Redemption biblically means to be bought. To be bought by God and by God alone. And how has He redeemed us? How has He purchased us? The verse goes on to say in verse 69, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. And again, you might think that's, that's a strange analogy. But a horn is a, is a symbol of power and strength. So again, if you can picture in your mind a bull or a wild ox with, with the horns, you don't want to be on the business end of a bull's horns. Right? You don't. You do not want to be on the business end of bull's horns. And what this horn of salvation will do, as it says in verse 71, is he will save us from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. That clearly has political overtones. Uh, Zechariah is looking for the Messiah to establish his earthly kingdom and conquer Israel's enemies. And we know that that's yet to come. But Israel's enemies and my enemies and your enemies are not just political, they are spiritual. We are all in bondage to very cruel and powerful enemies of sin and Satan and death. We are helpless and powerless to do anything about it. But what our verse is saying is, it's praising God that He has seen our affliction, He's seen our bondage to sin, to Satan and to death, and He has visited us, He has redeemed us, He has bought us through a mighty Messiah, through the Anointed One, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has used His great power and His might to liberate us from the power and penalty of sin, to overcome Satan, to destroy death. Jesus is our horn of salvation. He has redeemed us through His shed blood on the cross. Jesus has gored Satan. He has pierced death. He has gutted sin. He has trampled our enemies. He is our horn of salvation. And we should praise Him for that. Praise Him for the mighty redemption that He has wrought. Praise Him that He saw our desperate, sinful condition and did not leave us to ourselves, but He lowered His horns and He drove out our enemies. He is our mighty, mighty horn of salvation. We also praise Him because He is faithful. And Zechariah notes at least three ways that God is faithful. The first one is he, he mentions King David. So in verse 69, it says he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And that's making reference to the Davidic covenant. And I've said this multiple times now and I'll say it again. If you want to understand the scriptures, you need to know the covenants. The Bible is structured by covenants. And God always works with his people through a covenant. And here the reference is to the Davidic covenant. God promised King David a thousand years ago, when this was written, a thousand years ago, that he would always have a son on the throne. He would always have a son on the throne. That kingdom would know no end. Mary, in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 to 32, she's of the line of David, and she's told by Gabriel this, Luke 1, 31 and 32, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him, notice what it says, the throne of his father David. That's the Davidic covenant. Now to really appreciate this, you need to put yourself in the shoes of Zechariah and put yourself in the shoes of also the prophets because there is a tremendous theological problem that faced the prophets and that faces Zechariah. And it's the fact that for 400 years, David has not had a son on the throne. God has promised uh, that David will have a son on the throne whose, whose kingdom will last forever and ever. And it's been 400 years 
since David's throne fell, and no one has taken it up yet. So in 586 BC, Jerusalem was carried off into captivity, uh, and for, so for 600 years, the throne of David was in shambles. So the people are genuinely wondering, will God ever raise up the line of David again? Will the throne of David ever be reestablished? God, have you forgotten your promise? And so here we're seeing he has not forgotten his promise. He is faithful. Before the very eyes of Zechariah, within the womb of Elizabeth, God is fulfilling the promise that he has made a thousand years previously to David. God is faithful. A second way that we see God's faithfulness is in that phrase, verse 70, where Zechariah says, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. You may or may not have heard of a a Jewish man named Alfred Edersheim. Uh, He's no longer alive, uh, but he, he, he was a Jewish man brought up in the Jewish faith. Uh, he comes to faith in Christ uh, under the ministry of a man named John Duncan. He also, for a, a season of his life, was a missionary to Jews. But what Edersheim is most well known for is his, his passion for the Old Testament and seeing Christ in the Old Testament and helping people have a, an understanding of God's redemptive work through the Old Testament. And through his work, he found over 400 references to Christ the Messiah in the holy prophets. And so when you read that verse in 70 where it says, he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, we can think of 400 promises that he spoke of through his holy prophets uh, all throughout the Old Testament. God is faithful. A third way that we see God's faithfulness uh, within our text is that Zechariah speaks of the Abrahamic covenant. So if you drop down to verse 72, it says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. So the Davidic covenant goes back a thousand years from the time this was written. The Abrahamic covenant goes back 2,000 years from the time that this was written. If you can, you can study about it in Genesis 12, Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. Uh, But that's a promise that God makes to Abraham. Remember, God in his sovereign grace calls him out, a sinner from the land of Ur, and promises to make a great nation of him, to give his descendants the land of Canaan, to bless all the families of the earth. And we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of that Abrahamic covenant. So if I can summarize all that, because that's a lot of history. Uh, But if I can summarize all of that, What Zechariah is saying is that God ruled the ages. He presided over the years. He superintended the rise and fall of nations. He directed the births and deaths of generations, all to bring about this coming Messiah. And as Zechariah kind of takes this all in, all the prophecies, all the promises that are, that are coming true before his, before his very eyes, he can't help but praise God for it. And it should be the same with you and I. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God still presides over the days and the months and the years. God is still superintending the rise and fall of every king and kingdom. He is directing all things to the consummation of his son Christ. It does not depend on our performance, but on God who keeps his word. That's worth praising him for. Even doubt doesn't stop him. Zechariah doubts, right? God comes to him through the angel, through the angel Gabriel and says, I'm, I'm going to raise up this son and he's going to do this. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah is like, are you really sure about that one? And God doesn't say, well, forget about you. I'm just going to wait another thousand years till I find someone who's faithful. No, God has made his promise. And God is going to perform. He is going to do what he says he does. It does not depend on our performance. It depends on him and his word and his faithfulness. He has spoken and he will do it. Nothing can stop him from keeping his word and accomplishing his purposes. Not the sun, 
Not the moon, not the stars. There's not a creature, there's not a human that can stop him from doing his plans. And let me make it a little more personal. Chest pains and cancer, blood clots, miscarriages, broken relationships, famines, earthquakes, the loss of a job, whoever becomes president, a virus, or anything else does not stop God from performing His Word. He is faithful. He is faithful. And we can praise Him for that. We can also praise Him because of how He changes our lives. Look at verses 74 and 75 where it says He's he's done all of this. He's keeping His promises. He's redeeming us that we, verse 74, being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. So, so God has done all of this, not just so that we can go to heaven, but His goal in redeeming us is that you and I might serve Him. Does that, does that ring a bell from, from last week? And serve Sunday. And according to these verses, our service should have a number of things. Our service to God should be without fear. Our service should be in holiness and righteousness. Our service is done before Him. We do it not to impress others, or even to impress Him, but we do it in His presence. And notice the end of verse 75. How long do we serve? All our days. Those are some wonderful verses. Jesus redeems us to transform us. He saves us that we might fulfill the highest calling in the universe. It doesn't get any better than this, than to serve God. That's why He saves us. That's why He redeems us. That's why He keeps His promises. And that's, that's important to keep in mind because many, many in our day and age are, are lost, they're wandering. So many are discouraged and depressed and anxious and worried because life seems to have no meaning. Life seems to be without purpose. Life is meaningless. They, they don't know the God who's orchestrating all things according to His plan and purpose. They, they think we live and die and, and, and that's it and nothing matters. And there's this desperate, aching question, why am I here? Why, why do I exist? Why, why do I live? And, and the Bible so clearly and powerfully answers, He has redeemed us. He has been faithful that we might serve Him. That we might praise Him and glorify Him. Our purpose in life is not found in looking deep within. That's scary when you look deep within. <laughs> it's, not, it's not about looking deep within. It's looking out to Him, up to Him who has created us. And when we look to Jesus, He transforms us from sinners to saints, from dead to alive, from being a drunkard to being sober, from being angry to patient. Many, many things like that the Lord does. I love 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, where the Apostle Paul asks these questions. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he has a list of unrighteousness, things that today our world would say are not unrighteous, uh, but the Bible clearly paints as unrighteous. And so Scripture says, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, none of those will inherit the kingdom of God. And if it just ended there, that would be very discouraging. But 1 Corinthians 6.11 says this, Such were some of you. You were defined by these things. You did live in these things. You were deceived by these things. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus transforms our lives. And we so often think, I can never change. Will I ever change? And the answer is, in the power of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, yes, yes. 
he saves us and he changes us from the inside out that we might serve him and glorify him more and more until that day of days when he returns and we'll serve him more and more and more then also. So we can praise him that he changes our lives. There's, there's really a, a neat illustration of this from the life of Dr. Harry Ironside. I don't know if we're familiar with him. Uh, again, he's an individual who's passed away, but he was alive in the, in the mid-1900s. Uh, he is a well-known evangelist, also Bible teacher, preacher. Uh, and he, he was in San Francisco, and he was walking through the city, and he, he came upon a group of uh, Salvation Army uh, workers who were holding a meeting on, on, the, on a street corner. Uh, they recognized him. They asked him to share his testimony, and he did. And, and Ironside talks about, as, as he's speaking, he notices that kind of on the fringes of the crowd, there's, there's this individual there, and he recognizes him. Uh, this individual was a very prominent man in that time and day who was big on, he was a big socialist, he was very anti-Christianity, and, and Ironside can see that as he's speaking, as she's sharing his testimony, he can see that this guy's writing something on a card. And when Ironside is done sharing his testimony and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, this individual kind of makes his way through the crowd and comes up to him and gives him a card, and on one side of it is the individual's name. And Ironside never mentions the guy's name, but on the flip side, he writes on there something along the lines of, I challenge you to a debate. I want to meet with you next Sunday uh, at, at the Academy Hall, and I want to debate uh, agnosticism versus Christianity. Because this guy was a well-known and agnostic, uh, socialist, and very, very anti-Christianity. So Ironside, he read that, and he, he says, I will gladly do that on two conditions. Uh, condition number one. You must promise to bring with you one man who was for years what we would commonly call a down and outer. And, I, and I'm quoting Ironside. He says, I'm not particular as to the exact nature of the sins that erect his life and made him an outcast from society, whether a drunkard or a criminal of some kind or a victim of any sensual appetite. But a man who for years was under the power of evil habits from which he could not deliver himself, but who on some occasion entered one of your meetings, and he heard your glorification of agnosticism and your denunciations of the Bible, and whose heart and mind, as he listened to you speak, was, were so deeply stirred that he went away from that meeting saying, Henceforth I am an agnostic. And as a result of imbibing that philosophy, he found the new power had come into his life, that the sins he once loved, now he hated, and righteousness and goodness were henceforth the ideals of his life. He's a new man, uh, credit to himself, an asset to society, all because he's now an agnostic. So, so you can find a man who will be able to say that. Please bring him to that debate. Here's condition number two. I would also like you to find one woman who was once a poor and, and wrecked and characterless outcast, the, the slave of evil passions and, and the victim of man's corrupt living, someone who was utterly lost and ruined and wretched because of her life of sin, but she also entered one of your meetings where you were loudly proclaiming agnosticism and ridiculing the message of the Holy Scriptures, and as she listened to you, hope was born in her heart, and she said, this is just what I need to deliver me from the slavery of sin. And she followed your teaching and became an intelligent agnostic. And as a result, her whole being has revolted against the degradation of life she'd been living. And she's fled from the den of iniquity where she was held captive for so long. And she's been rehabilitated. She's, she's won her way back to an honored position of society. She's living a clean, virtuous, happy life. Bring her next time, when, next week when we debate. Bring the man, bring the woman. <laughs> and here's what he said. He said, and here's what I will do. I promise that if you bring two people with you as examples of what agnosticism will do, I will bring 100. I will bring 100 men and women who can proclaim how the Lord Jesus Christ, they believed the message, they heard the gospel, which you ridicule, they have, they have heard it, they believed it, and their lives have been changed. I'll bring 100, you bring two. <laughs> it's, a, it's a powerful illustration of how Jesus changes lives and the mighty work of God's grace and his faithfulness and his redemption. And, and by the way, if you're wondering how, how the guy responded, according to Ironside, the guy had a, had a good sense of humor. He smiled quite cynically at him and, and waved his hand and said, not going to do it. Not going to do it. Edging through the crowd, he left the scene. Uh, but God changes lives. God changes lives.
A third or a fourth reason to praise him is he forgives our sin. With verse 76, uh, he turns his direction to, to John, his son John, and he says of him, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So verse 76, again, focuses on John the Baptist. There's three prophecies made about him. He's, he will be a prophet. He will prepare the way for the Savior. He will also preach forgiveness of sins. So he's a prophet, a preparer, and a preacher. John one twenty nine is a good example of how he preached. In John one twenty nine, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, pointing to Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. But just that phrase, I, I love that phrase in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. That is your greatest need this morning, the forgiveness of your sins. We do not need education or politics or technology or money. What we need is forgiveness. We need forgiveness because we have all sinned against a thrice holy God. And we sit under his judgment. We are powerless and helpless to save ourselves. And because of our sin, we owe him an insurmountable debt. We need forgiveness. We cannot forgive ourselves. God and God alone can forgive. And God in his mercy has sent us a Savior, that mighty horn of salvation, the Redeemer, who can solve our greatest problem. And he did solve it. He offered himself up freely and willingly to hang on that Roman cross, to bear the penalty of your sin and mine, to bear God's wrath, his just fury for your sin and my sin, and that by faith in him, we might be forgiven of all of our sin. So I rejoice, and I know you rejoice, in scriptures like these, in Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, where it says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, and iniquities is another word for sin, so if you, O Lord, should mark our sin, who could stand? Right? Who could stand? What, what a verse that is. And God is marking all of your sins and iniquities. And not one of us can stand before him because of that. But, the verse goes on to say, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Or how about Psalm 103, verses 10 and 12, where it says about God, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Christ did that. But mark it, if you're not in Christ, if you haven't turned from your sin, He will deal with you according to your sins and your iniquities. But when you turn to Christ in faith and, and trust in Him alone, then we can say with the psalmist, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him, as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. My favorite one, though, is Micah 7, 18 and 19. And I referenced this verse a couple weeks ago. But Micah 7, 18 and 19, where the prophet cries out, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Listen to this. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He's the horn of salvation. You will cast, this is the phrase I love, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So think about that for a moment with me. If, if we were standing over there by that stream and we were to throw something in that stream, it's not very deep. The current's not that strong. 
we could probably fetch it out of the water, right? But notice what this verse says. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So what is thrown into the ocean cannot be recovered. And maybe you object saying, you know, there's, there's some shallow parts of the ocean. <laughs> but notice what the verse says. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. And so maybe from that you object and say, well, well maybe, maybe my sins don't sink. Don't worry. Because the verse says, he will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea, which is to say, he will throw them with such force that they will sink deep like lead in the blood of our Redeemer. And maybe you say, but I've sinned so grievously and so greatly. And I get the psalmist when he says, I, I, I can't stand before him. And notice again what the scripture says. It says, you will cast all our sins, all our sins into the depths of the sea. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Forgiveness of sins in Christ and Christ alone. Well, by now our hearts should be bursting, but there's another reason to praise Him, and it's the, the dawning of a new day. And with this final burst of praise, Zechariah cries out in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give lights to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And honestly, those verses deserve a whole sermon in and of itself. <laughs> those, those are amazing verses. Verses that are packed with hope. And the sunrise is Jesus Christ. He's the sunrise. Scripture loves to speak about God, and especially God's Son, Jesus, as a sun or a star. And so Numbers 24, 17, Balaam says, A star shall come out of Jacob. In Isaiah 9, 2, we read, the, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Or Psalm 84, 11, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. Malachi 4.2 But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Jesus says, or John 1.9 says, that Jesus is the true light. Jesus says of himself in John 8.12 that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in Revelation 21, verse 23, we're told when the new city comes, the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no need for the sun because the Lamb will light the world. And I got thinking about that this week and just the significance of Jesus being compared to the sun. It's very, very refreshing and just a few thoughts that I had. And you could take this a lot farther. But just the sun, you know, the physical sun, like Jesus, is consistent. We can trust the sun every day. That it, it shows up. And the sun is the center of the solar system, just like Jesus is the center of the universe. The sun is beautiful and shines forth glory, just like the sun, the Lord Jesus Christ. The sun is our source of life. Without the sun, we would all die. And that's, that's true of Jesus Christ. The sun is a source of light, and Jesus is our light. The sun is a source of hope, and Jesus is our hope. The sun is a source of warmth. <laughs> oh, maybe we would like a little bit more of that this morning. And Jesus is our warmth. And as our light, just that mighty picture of the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
Imagine getting lost in the woods. Getting lost in the woods and it's dark. Darkness is setting in. You don't have a phone. You don't have a GPS tracker. You don't have a compass. You weren't very well prepared. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's getting dark. The sky's overcast. So you can't see the stars. It's just you. It's the woods. It's darkness. It's so dark you can't even see the hand in front of your face. And you're, you're groping to find a path or some kind of familiar object, but there's, there's nothing, and you can't sleep because it's so cold, and you also can't sleep because you're hearing all sorts of noises, and you're afraid. Maybe a twig snaps, and, or an animal howls, and you shudder. All you can do is sit in the darkness and wait for the sun to rise. And when the sunrise comes up, Oh, how you will rejoice and be glad. And that is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the sunrise. A new day has dawned to give light and hope, to guide us into peace. Our anxious, troubled hearts can know his peace. So Orangeville Baptist Church, how are you doing in the praise department? Are you praising God or are you full of complaining? What are you more well known for? Praise or complain? Just like I told you last week, being a seat warmer is not a spiritual gift. Complaining is not a spiritual gift. In fact, I would say that grumbling and complaining is a disease. And it spreads from person to person. It's, it's, it's very infectious and it drains churches and families of, of joy and unity and holiness. And it seems like we, we do seem to have this gift of taking anything and complaining about it. We complain about the food or, or the weather or your boss or your spouse or the slow internet or the referee or the high price of groceries or aches and pains. Just this endless chorus of complaints. And it's wicked. Complaining is wicked. Read 1 Corinthians 10 and see what God does to those who complain. It's scary. It's wicked. It's sinful. And what complaining reveals is a great selfish heart. It reveals self-centeredness. It's, it's basically saying, I'm not getting what I think I deserve. It's an assault on the goodness of God is really what it is. Instead of complaining... What should be an endless chorus coming out of our mouth is praise and thanksgiving for who God is. Please hear this. If we complained less and praised God more, we would be a lot happier and God would be a lot more glorified. If you complained less and praised God more, you would be a lot happier and God would be glorified a lot more. Or ask yourself this, is your life full of praise or doubt? And there's, there's a powerful lesson here for us, a reminder that no matter how, how strong you are in your faith, that doubt can come out of nowhere. It's something we can all fall into. In Luke chapter 1, verse 6, Zechariah is described as a very righteous man before God. He's described in a way that I would love to be said of me. And yet, when the angel comes with the, with the word of God, Zechariah doubts. Zechariah is, is a great man of faith, but he doubts. He doesn't believe God will do what he says he can do. And isn't that a warning to me and to you? That any one of us can fall into doubts? No matter how mature or advanced you are in the Lord, you, you must be on your guard lest you fall. If it could happen to Zechariah, it can happen to me, it can happen to you. Yet in our text, uh, Zechariah is bursting with praise, yes, but it took him nine months of silence to get there. Nine months, 270 days of silence. And I can't, I can't help but wonder, and I can't help but try and draw this connection that Maybe what I need and what some of us need to learn how to praise God more is we need silence. Maybe not nine months, <laughs> but we need silence. 
that maybe some of us are filling our lives up with so much noise that you're drowning out uh, God and His Word and you're making it increasingly harder to hear His voice, that, that maybe some of us are addicted to noise and maybe the lesson that some of us need to draw is be still and know that I am God. Maybe we don't meditate enough, we're not quiet enough, silent enough, and therefore we don't praise Him enough. And so maybe a cure for complaining and encouragement to praise God more is to turn off the noise. Turn off the news. Please turn off the news. Turn off the computer, your tablet, your phone. Turn off Netflix or YouTube. Turn off Spotify. Open up God's Word. Dig into it, memorize it, meditate on it. Set your mind on the scriptures. Be silent before Him. Be still and know that He is God. And who knows, it may do for you what it did for Zechariah. It may cause your heart to burst out in loud praise of His great name and cause your doubt to melt away. Maybe your heart is full of doubt because you're listening to all these other voices and you need silence you need God's Word. And I would just say this, and I would invite the, the praise team up to come up as I just kind of share this final thought. If Zechariah had this much reason to praise God, how much more you and I? That thought kind of hit me just, just Thursday as I, was, as I was thinking through this. If Zechariah can burst forth praising God for his redemption and his faithfulness and his transforming power and his forgiveness of sin and, and the new hope that we have in him, shall we not, brothers and sisters in Christ, praise him more on this side of the cross? Do we not have way more reason to praise him for these attributes? And one of Charles Wesley's most well-known hymns is that hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, right? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Yes and amen, right? A thousand tongues is not enough to praise His praises. And then he goes on to write, Assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the world abroad the honors of Your name. Not just in my home, not just in my office or my car, but everywhere we go, we're praising Him, we're, 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 we're lifting Him up, that he, he is worthy. And don't miss that phrase, Assist me to proclaim. And maybe you're here this morning and life is hard. Your heart is sagging, you're discouraged, you're, you're, you're depressed, you're, maybe your, your world is filled with pain and your mind is weary, but there's grace. There's grace. He will assist you to praise Him. And, and as you praise Him, you will have this way of, of shifting your eyes heart away from the things of this world and up to the glories and the majesty of who God is. So Christians, let's not settle for small praise. Let's praise God in a big way with great worship and let's never stop praising Him. Let's praise Him for His redemption. Praise Him for His faithfulness. Praise Him for His transforming power. Praise Him for His, 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 <clears throat> excuse me, His, His forgiveness. Praise Him for <clears throat> His light that, that, that His truth and His glory might spread all around the world. Let's Orangeville Baptist Church be a place of praise. And may it be infectious among us. And may it spread through Orangeville and through Michigan. And God's name be lifted up. All God's people say? Amen. <clears throat> Amen.